goals that I have for the future. And, and I hate it because I get put on the spot and they say, well, just tell me about yourself. And I think, well, where do I begin? But, but this one time, someone actually came up with, I think, a better question. Someone came up to me and asked, well, what takes up your attention? What takes up your attention? What, what do you spend your day thinking about? What's on your mind? What's running through your head throughout the day? What do you end up focusing on? I, I thought it was a really weird question at first, but as I began to think through it and, and tried to answer this <clears throat> question off the top of my head, I realized actually it was a pretty good one. Because actually what, what I end up thinking about and dwelling on and focusing on, what, what grabs my attention probably says something more about me than how I might describe myself. Actually, in fact, it might begin to, uh, I, I might not always like the way that I would answer that. Right? What I end up you know, spending my attention on, sure, there's things like work, you know, uh, if you've got kids, chores to do, all that kind of thing. Sure, that takes up your attention, but there's also a lot of time that we end up spending thinking about all kinds of things like entertainment, about sports, news, politics, whatever kind of happens to catch our interest at the time. We can end up focusing on all kinds of things, and we can allow our attention on God to very, very much diminish. Right? We, we can push him to the side while we might say, yeah, that, that's a big part of my life. The time we actually give to considering him sometimes is very small. Well, this evening, we're, we're going to look at two women who God radically shifted their attention. All right? Their attention was changed by what God did for them. So we're, we're going to be continuing on in this Christmas season or this Christmas series that we've been doing, looking at these first two chapters of the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible, you can open up, you can find your way there or on your phone or wherever it is. We've already read our text for this evening, but, but I want us to kind of catch ourselves up, where, where we've been going and what we've been doing. If you haven't been with us throughout this series, uh, we have been looking at the first chapter of Luke. And Luke, introduces us to two women, right? Two women who are suddenly and, and miraculously finding themselves pregnant, right? We have Elizabeth and we have Mary. Neither one of them should be pregnant, yet both of them find out they are. Elizabeth was far too old and Mary was a virgin. Neither of these women should have children and yet here they both are. And in our text this morning, or this, oh, I said it. Ah, I was trying so hard not to say morning. All right, this text, or this evening, we're actually going to look at them finally meeting each other. See, when the angel Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, she, or he told her that, that her relative Elizabeth was also pregnant. And so what Mary does is she finds herself now suddenly pregnant and probably a little bit scared and a little bit nervous to actually be telling anyone because what would they say about this unwed pregnant girl? She, she goes and she meets her relative Elizabeth. Of all the people she would understand, this other woman who shouldn't be pregnant yet is now meets with Mary. So Mary goes and she stays with Elizabeth for about three months. Presumably Zechariah was there, but we don't really hear much from him. If you've been following along, you'll know why, right? When Gabriel came to them, came to Zechariah and said, hey, you're going to have a child, his response was, I don't think so. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Don't believe it. And Gabriel says, all right, well, you're not going to speak until he's born then. And so Zechariah was probably there, but he was saying nothing. And so Mary and Elizabeth get to take the stage. And so we're going to pick up this story here. 
Mary arrives at Elizabeth and she greets her. And verse 41 says this. It says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, if you just imagine that for a moment, of all the people Mary may have told that she is pregnant, I'm going to say this was a unique response, right? Everyone else probably looked at her with a little bit of judgment and a little bit of, your what? Oh, I'm sorry, hold on, that's not what it should be. And yet Elizabeth recognizes what has actually taken place. Actually, this is God doing something amazing in her life. And we're told Elizabeth's response is from the Holy Spirit. He is inspiring her to speak. And so what I'd like us to do is to actually pay attention here. What does Elizabeth say? What what is the response uh, that she has? And what does it actually mean for us? All right, so we're going to look at this. And we're going to see a lot about how God actually blesses us and how we are to respond to his promises. So, What does the Holy Spirit actually inspire her to say? Well, the first thing that leaves her mouth is a blessing on Mary. Elizabeth says, you are going to be blessed because of this child. Now, now, the Bible talks about children as a blessing all the time. All children are a blessing from the Lord, Psalm 127. But Mary's child was even different still. Right? Mary's child was going to be an extra blessing. And so verse 43, Elizabeth says, And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, that's an amazing statement. Because Elizabeth is saying, not just are, are you pregnant, or not only are you going to have this, this child which is a blessing, this child is the Lord, is in fact my Lord. She's saying, actually, that the child you are going to bear is going to be God himself. Which if you think about that's an amazing, that's a bizarre, incredible thing for her to claim and for her to even say. So you might ask, well, okay, how did she know that? Right? We kind of know the end of the story and we can look back and we can say, yeah, exactly. Jesus was both fully God, fully man. There he is. But, but how does Elizabeth coming to this? Well, actually, we could say, well, she had the Holy Spirit. Perfect. Well, actually, I think there's more to it as well. See, God had been doing things in her life as well. Gabriel, this, this angel, had come and spoken to Zechariah, and, and I'm sure he passed on the message somehow to his wife. But the child that she was going to bear actually had a role that he would prepare the way for the Messiah. He was going to prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord was going to come, and her child would make everyone ready, turn people to see God. And as Mary enters the room, her child, she's now probably about six months pregnant, suddenly leaps. Not just kicks, leaps. I don't know what that felt like. I don't know what that would have been like. But she realized something different was happening at this moment. She remembers what her son is meant to do. Her son is meant to point people to the Lord. And so Elizabeth says, Mary, you are blessed beyond everyone because the child you are going to bear is in fact God himself. How is it that God can be both, or Jesus can be both God and man? We talked a little bit about that last week. And my answer is, we're going to find out when we meet Jesus. 
all right? That, that's a massive topic, and it's worth even thinking through, but the truth is we're never going to have all of those answers. But what we do find is that Mary is blessed that she actually is going to be bearing Jesus, bringing forth both God and man. But you might ask, Kate, but why do I care, right? I'm not doing that, right? This isn't applying to me. That, that's about Mary. Why, why do I care about all of this stuff? Because the truth is no one else is going to go through this. No one else is going to give birth to Jesus. So why, why does Luke even write this down for us? Well, I think there's a couple answers we could give, but first, it tells us who Jesus is, and secondly, because Elizabeth's second half of the response is very applicable to us. Look at verse 45. Verse 45, she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, again, she's talking specifically here to Mary, but it's far more general than just that. This is a blessing for anyone who believes in the promises of God. And you've got to hear this in context, right? Because this is Elizabeth who's saying this. Elizabeth knows exactly what this kind of blessing looks like. Because in the next room over is her husband sitting there unable to speak. Why? Because he didn't believe. He, he got a promise from God, and he actually didn't believe that, and he was struck dumb. Now Elizabeth is looking at Mary and saying, you have a blessing because of your faith. You have been blessed by God through your faith. And here we, we could probably just pause, because I think we use that word way too often, blessing, right? We talk about being blessed all the time. We talk about all this, probably more in the church than outside, but I've seen enough Twitter hashtags of, you know, hashtag blessed, all this kind of stuff, to know it gets used, and it's used very poorly in a lot of places, right? And so, well, what, what does it mean, right? We, we see people tag all kinds of things, right? Here, here's the new stuff I got, hashtag blessed. Here's my new car, blessed. My new truck, blessed. Here's my vacation, my children, all my perfect life. See how blessed I am. But let's be clear, that's not how Mary and Elizabeth are using that word. No, in fact, throughout the Bible, we find that a blessing is actually favor from God. Actually means we, we have found favor with God. In fact, that's, that's what Gabriel just said to Mary. You can look back, verse 30. You are highly favored before God. Someone who is blessed has received God's favor. They're in his good books, Right? God is on your side. It's a little bit like if you have a boss and you kind of know them outside of work, right? You, you hang out, you, you do stuff, and, and that translates to now into work, and suddenly, man, actually, you kind of get in those nice perks, you know, the nicer shift. Maybe you get put up for the promotion more than other people, right? You have that inside track. Well, that's kind of what this is talking about. You are favored by God. You have the inside track with him. You're in his good books, and so Elizabeth is saying, Mary, you have God's favor. Why? Because you are bearing, in fact, the Son of God, Jesus. But secondly, you have received God's favor because of your faith. She responded in belief that God would be able to do exactly what he promised. See, I said this had to do with us, and it does. Because that's the exact same way that we are given favor before God. It is through faith. And here's where we actually have the advantage over Mary. 
We know the end of the story. We know what Jesus actually does. We know what this promise leads to. We actually understand that Jesus grows up. And he comes not just to be born as a baby, but he was born to be our savior. The baby Mary would have would be the savior of the world who would deal with our sins. See, I think so often we, we, we don't think about blessing in terms of God's favor because we usually assume we have it, right? I don't need to worry about having God's favor because of course I have it. Why wouldn't I? I'm a nice guy, right? I'm pretty good. I'm sure I'm in God's good books. But actually, as we go through the Bible, we realize we actually look a lot more like Zechariah sitting in the other room, unable to speak, than we ever do looking like Mary. Actually, the Bible says we, we are those who didn't believe, that we actually turned away from God, that we actually have sinned before him, disbelieved and ignored him, and God still came to earth. In fact, out of love, he came so that we might be saved. Jesus went to the cross in order to earn our favor before God so that anyone who believes in him would be saved. That's what blessing means. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, the blessing of God is that we might be saved. We actually might have favor with him. And it comes to us simply through faith, simply through trusting him. Right? It's not a result of works. It's not anything that we can do. And so that's why we can't even boast about it. We can't say, hey, I did something and I earned my way to God. No, it's nothing but trust. See, if you want to know what it looks like, it looks like this. It's sitting on the side of the road in a broken down car with a cell phone that doesn't work and you're sitting there peacefully and calmly. Why? Because right before your cell phone died, you called your friend and you said, hey, can you pick me up? He said, yep. And you trust him. See, that's what faith looks like. It's trusting that God is actually going to come through with his promises. When he says something, I trust it's going to happen. That is what faith looks like. It means we have nothing to do with it. And Ephesians says, so that we might not boast. What's our reaction then? Praising God. It's worshiping him, giving him all the glory. And in fact, that's exactly what Mary does here, doesn't she? How does she respond? She trusts God and then she magnifies the Lord and praises our Savior. See, she responds in this, this song that we read here, right? I don't know when exactly she wrote it. Maybe, maybe she just off the top of her head just began to sing. Maybe she was very musical. I don't know. But she probably just sat down and kind of in a quiet reflection began to write out this response to what God has done. So look at verse 46. She says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Right? Her soul magnifies the Lord. That's why this song has often been called the Magnificat. Right? It's a Latin word. It just means magnify. Because right? that's really what this entire song is about. It's about magnifying God. You might say, I, I have no idea what that means. That sounds really cool. Yeah, magnifying the Lord. What does that actually mean? And so, at least when I think about it, the first thing that pops into my head is a magnifying glass, 
right? Magnifying, right? Like the old detectives and looking around and, okay, yeah, I can see that. What does a magnifying glass do? It makes something bigger. It makes something bigger so that you can actually see it, so that you can actually see all of the details of what is going on. To use a bit more of a 21st century example, think of your phone and zooming in, right? You can zoom in on it, and what happens? Whatever you're looking at becomes bigger in the screen. See, I think that's what Mary is talking about. She's talking about actually making God bigger in her life, taking up more of her attention. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're going to go to your boss, right? You work in some kind of office building, I don't know, and you're sitting in your workspace and you are freezing cold. Like you're wearing several sweaters, a toque, a scarf, long johns, and you're sitting there with mitts on trying to type something on your computer, and it's horrible, right? And you go to your boss, and he is sitting in this beautifully nice office. It's warm, it's heated. He's got his own little heater there just in case he ever needs it, and a fan if he wants it. Like, it it is perfect. And you go in, and you're like, I got to tell you something. (laughs) It is freezing outside. Can, Can you please come and fix it? And he says, oh, it's not that bad. No, 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 no. You need to come and fix it. What are you doing in that moment? you are magnifying the problem. You you are taking something that maybe he was aware of, maybe he wasn't, and you are making it bigger so that he can actually see it and deal with it. He can actually address what has been magnified. See, this is what Mary is saying about God. It is so easy to allow God to seem insignificant. Yeah, it's, it's a passing thing. It's down there, but it's not a big deal. I don't really have to deal with God at any point. Mary says, actually, in my soul, every part of who I am, my innermost being, I want God to be magnified and made big in my life so that when anyone looks at me, they are seeing God. See, that's what it means to actually magnify the Lord. See, we, we, we do this with all kinds of things. We, we do this when, someone, or when we tell someone about a sale we saw. We're bringing it to their attention. We're making it seem bigger. When we talk about the Canucks, when we talk about all kinds of different things, we magnify them in our lives. We make it bigger for other people to see. So the question is, what are we magnifying? What, what are we drawing people's attention to? How, how do we actually do this? Where do we actually bring it? See, the truth is, as we come into the Christmas season, there are so many things that end up taking our attention. There are so many things that end up distracting us and pulling us away, right? We, we, it's the time of the year where we sing Silent Night and we have none, right? Because we just fill them with so many different things. It's where we have kids' uh, productions, where we have parties, where we have family get-togethers, there's presents to buy, and all of that seems to diminish down God. God becomes less magnified because we have brought attention to all of these other things. At the time of the year where God ought to be the most apparent, so often he is the most hidden. Yet the response of faith, faith is to magnify, give glory to God. In fact, that's exactly what the angels pronounce. Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. For those who have favor with God, we are called to give glory to him. The announcement of Christmas is glory to God in the highest 
so that God might be seen in our lives as the greatest and most important part, that when people look at us, they would see Jesus through us. See, that's the response of Mary. Let God be magnified in all things. Colossians 3 puts it this way. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What it means to magnify the Lord in our lives is to be giving thanks through every single thing. When you go to work, you're not working for your boss. You're actually working for God. When you spend your money, it's not yours, but it's God's gift to you. Your children aren't your own. They are the gift from God. Your health is a gift. Your car is a gift. Your marriage, your friendships, your body, all of it is to be used to make God known. That when people meet us, we are bringing God to their attention. Just like the frigid workplace, we're saying, this is worth your attention to see and deal with. I want you to know God this Christmas. I want you to hear the, uh, the angels rejoice. I want you to experience the blessings of being right with God. And I want you to rejoice in our Savior. And see, that's where Mary's song goes. Verse 47, and really the rest of the entire song is just her rejoicing in what God has done. It says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And really the rest of this can be kind of divided into two halves. It's what God has done for her and what God has done for everyone else, for all his people. And Mary rejoices over both of them, which is probably a good reminder for us. We tend to be very individualistic, right? We, we think about ourselves, we think about what God can do for me, and I kind of ignore what God does for everyone else. It's good to be reminded, actually, when, when Mary is praising God, she's praising not only for what God has done for her, but for all the people of God. Verse 48, she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. God has, has taken her from this state of, of, of humbleness, of, of humility, right? She is young. She's part of the Jewish people who are looked down on. She was a woman. She was the very lowest of the low on the social ladder. And yet God is going to make her now one of the most blessed people on earth. All generations will call her blessed. But if you jump down to verse 51, you're going to see the same thing God does with everyone else. Verse 51 says, he has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Right? This is the pattern that God works at. He is going to humble the proud and he is going to exalt the lowly and the humble. And so Mary is praising God because this is how he works. James 4 says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why does God oppose the proud? Why is it that, that God would oppose those who are proud? Certainly they should be rewarded. Those who can kind of muster up enough courage to, to go to God, surely that's the one God favors. But again, that, that's not the case. 
God opposes those who think they can do it all by themselves. The good news is for those who know they aren't good enough. It's for those who know that they can't actually earn their way to God's favor, that they actually need God to save them. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Over and over again, this is the pattern we see God at work. He is lifting up the downcast, and he humbles the proud. Why? Because God is going to be the Savior. It's because of what God is going to do. We don't earn our way into God's favor. No, this is because God has gracious and merciful with us. In fact, that's the second reason Mary has to rejoice. Verse 49, she writes, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Jump down to verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary is rejoicing. Why? Because God has had mercy on us and in doing, he has been faithful to his promises. God has been making promises to his people for generations and generations, and they were always waiting to see, is God actually going to carry them through? There was obstacle after obstacle. Constantly, there were things in the way that seemed to threaten God's ability to even be faithful, to bring about these promises. And again and again, God is able to work not only despite them, but through them. Nations try and destroy Israel, try and cut off the line of God, and yet God always protects his people. God is faithful to what he has called them to do. See, that is a reason to rejoice, isn't it? God is able to keep his promises. There are no promises that God is unable, that that, that situations in our life get too bad, too broken to actually be able to fix. No, God can actually work through all of those. He is not lacking any power or any strength to fulfill what he has promised. Even the promise that he will forgive sins. See, that is one he is not going to break. A number of years ago, I was working with a guy. This was before working at Central, just to be clear. He wasn't a Christian found out I was. And so he, he used to kind of make fun at me, poke fun at me. And it was good. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed working with him. He was actually pretty nice. But one day he asked me a real question, serious question. He said, what is the worst sin anyone could commit? What's the worst one? Now, I think he was trying to look for an out for himself. Like, oh, okay, see, haven't done that. I'm not that bad. And in a moment of clarity that I can genuinely only say came from the Holy Spirit, I I said, well, it's not asking for forgiveness. And he kind of stopped for a moment. He said, like, like that's worse than murder? I said, well, God can forgive murder, but have you asked? See, God is actually able to fulfill all of his promises. The promise that any who place their faith, their trust in him will be saved, that is a promise that is sure. 
that God is not going to go back on, that God is powerful enough to actually forgive all of our sins so that we might be saved. See, that is a reason to rejoice because God is able to do all these things, that he is faithful to his promises, that he is merciful towards us even while we are rebellious sinners. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. See, the truth is, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for that God has done all of these things. And especially at Christmas, when we are reminded that he came to us out of his mercy and love that we could be forgiven. Let us respond like Mary who says, I will trust the Lord, and I trust his promises are true. Would you respond like her and say, I will magnify God in my life. Everyone who sees me shall see God at work. Would we rejoice like Mary and actually say, my goal is to be thankful, is to be grateful in every area of my life that I would be praising God for what he has done. He came to save us when we were low. He blessed us and gave us favor with God. We didn't earn it, and so all the glory goes to God. Let our lives be so filled with his mercy that we would share it to all who are around us. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that, that you have looked on us that you have cared about us, that you have loved us enough to send Jesus to us. Lord, you sent him not simply to live and show us how to live, but you have sent him so that he actually would die in our place, so that we can actually be forgiven of our sins, so that we can be made right with you. Lord, I, I pray would you make us truly grateful for this? Lord, I, I pray, would you help us trust you more and more each and every day that we would live in your favor, Lord, that we would live to magnify your greatness. We ask these things in your name. Amen.